This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. One of the most interesting people in the whole field of UFOs is back with us. Ralph Blumenthal is returned, and a special treat, his wife Deborah is with us. And why would that be? Why would suddenly both of them be sucked into this wild and crazy world of UFOs, writing a UFO book together? Well, it's because it's a book for kids. The UFO book for kids, as far as I know. And it is wonderful that it, the first one, that at least that I know of, comes from two of the most distinguished authors in the country and distinguished authors in the field. You probably don't know Deborah because she's not been doing this before. So let me start with telling you a little bit about her. Uh, she's an award-winning journalist. She's uh, the author of 15 picture books for children and her expertise and I think, frankly, sense of wonder glows in every page of this lovely book. Um, she uh, it, it did uh, The Blue House Dog, Saving Stella, A Dog's Dramatic Escape from a War. And she's also the author of numerous YA novels and four adult novels. But to my knowledge, nothing else about UFOs. I'll ask her about that in a few minutes. Uh, why she would get into this thorn... <laughs> maze of thorns with, with her husband, who she I mean, she already knows what it's like, amazes me. Ralph, of course, is a New York Times reporter, and he is the the uh, author of The Believer. He's been on Dreamland a number of times. The great book about John Mack that that gave John the place in history that he deserves. Uh, and it's a brilliant book. We've loved having Ralph on Dreamland. And of course, Ralph and Leslie Kane were involved in the breaking of the original Tic Tac story on the front page of the New York Times, which uh, arguably changed the world. So Ralph became backed into being a historical figure, which is happened to more than one New York Times reporter. Welcome, both of you, to Dreamland. I'm so excited to have you Thank on. Thank you, Whitley. Thanks, Whitley. Great pleasure to be back. Oh, wonderful. Well, Deborah, you knew what this field was like, <laughs> and yet you got yes. into it anyway. What yes, in the right. world possessed you to go? Have you gone insane or what? <laughs> Well, um, not yet. <laughs> you will, uh, don't worry. Right. Uh, I'll give you a little background on the origins of the book, Whitley. Um, during the pandemic, we were both obviously in the house an awful lot, and Ralph was doing numerous podcasts and interviews for The Believer. Um, and, and suddenly one day it occurred to me, as a children's book writer, are there any books for children on UFOs? And I realized that there really was nothing written for the, you know, the younger kids, the, in this case, six to nine-year-olds on UFOs, giving them just, you know, the very basics and an introduction to the topic. So um, I broached the subject with Ralph and, he, you know, he didn't answer at first. And then 
we began to talk about it and we realized, well, gee, maybe there is a good book to be done um, just to bring parents and children together and begin the discussion of the topic. And really that was how it all started. And then we were, you know, working from one computer to the other, sending back a draft and both of us shaping it and chipping at it. And um, we had great input from our editor at University of New Mexico Press, Stephen Hull. And that's really how the book came together. Well, it's a wonderful thing to do. And it's so important. I experimentally asked my four-year-old grandson what, a, what he thought of UFOs yesterday when I was with him. And he looked at me very frankly, and he said, they're aliens. Huh. <laughs> and I thought, I said, what do you think an alien is? And he said, they're from another star. Gaga. But aren't you supposed to know that? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and and I'm, I'm, I don't speak with my grandchildren very much about this, and, and, because their parents would prefer me not to. And that gets me to another question. And it, I'm going to ask both of you this question. Those aren't the only parents who would prefer their children not to know about this or hear about this. So how will your book cut through that resistance? Uh, Ralph, why don't you start with your ideas? Well, um, it's a good question. We, we certainly know, Whitley, uh, uh, about the resistance uh, to the field. Um, often in, in America's heartland, but also in, in the Pentagon, in the halls of government. Um, a lot of people think it's demonic. Um, they don't want to get involved in it. So uh, we took a very basic approach uh, to uh, give children and their parents uh, just the, the kind of uh, basic look at this phenomenon, what is known. And, you know, the subtitle of the book is Mysteries in the Sky. So we acknowledge, of course, that we don't have any answers. We really have questions, um, but that there are uh, physical objects there. The government uh, has now made that clear, which is a big uh, you know, leap for, for the government, um, that these things do exist. They are very mysterious, but they're real. And um, we kept the book very basic, um, uh, not to go into any speculative theories or to try to, you know, figure out w what they are, where they come from, who may be behind the wheel. Uh, we just wanted to stick to what um, can be established at this point. And we think it's a book that everybody can agree on, uh, you know, that these things exist, that they're real, uh, that they're mysterious, uh, but that, you know, the American people and people of the whole world are entitled to know as much as, you know, uh, is possible about them. Uh, the government still keeps much too much secret um, that we know. So we, we really pared it down. And that's when Deborah's, you know, great abilities with children's book writing came into play because she knew how to couch this in terms that would appeal to a younger you know, readership. Yes. So, uh, Deborah, you you do feel that it's time for children to address, to begin to get their minds around this whole issue. And I would think that there might be quite a few people who are involved with childhood education who would disagree with this very hotly, precisely for the reasons that Ralph just outlined, that there is a, a lack of, of, of certainty here. 
Um, well, there's no doubt that there's a great divide in the population. Um, you know, many people are very drawn to the subject, fascinated by it, curious, eager to know more. And then there's another part that really just wants no part of it, thinks it's silly and ridiculous and offensive. And, you know, we have to accept that. Not everyone is going to be drawn to a topic. But what we do hope is to just draw some of these people into the conversation and have them deal with the, the little that we do know and begin the conversation with their children. I mean, every day there are more sightings, there are articles, newspaper articles, magazine articles, accounts from all over the world. So we can't ignore this information, but we hope to offer children a safe space to talk about what we need, what we want to know, and, and perhaps what's ahead, what we may find out. And that's all we really attempted to do in this book was give a very basic framework for the material that, you know, we have it at hand, what's rock solid, and then start the conversation. Uh, we don't expect everyone to, to pick it up and say, oh, this is, you know, the, this is fascinating. But, you know, if, if we can just start the conversation, I think we'll be contributing something. And also, Whitley, I mean, these kids are picking this stuff up on their own. I mean, they're yeah. watching cartoons, they're watching, they're hearing their schoolmates talk about it. They're picking up, you know, stuff from, from movies, from, from books, from their parents' conversations, from newspapers. They're big sponges, these kids, even at a young age. So, uh, you know, this topic is in, in, the, in the atmosphere. I mean, it's all over. Uh, so we want to give them just a basis um, to, as Deborah said, to start the conversation. And then, Whitley, another thing is that the children's field is getting much more sophisticated. The topics uh, that children's books are written on now are, wouldn't have been accepted 20 years ago. You know, we're dealing with all kinds of issues, um, people, relationships, diseases, um, death, things that you wouldn't have seen earlier. But people know now children are sophisticated and the earlier you inform them and bring them into these conversations, the more acceptable things are to them and they're not fearful about them. So I, I think that's another factor to consider. I think that sitting down with your child and reading a book like this is going to be a very healthy experience, especially for people such as many of the people who watch this show or listen to this show which are people who have themselves had experiences and very often their children have had. Mm -hmm. I have had that experience myself. I will never forget. You know, Anne and I were keeping this strictly secret from our son. We absolutely never spoke of it. Mm. And suddenly about uh, oh, a few months into the height of the experiences we were having in our cabin in upstate New York, he said, these little doctors keep coming into my room and bothering me. They shine lights on my arms and they say they're looking at my soul. Hmm. It was seven. Wow. And uh, that, that was a difficult moment for us because what do you say? Mm. And so my question to both of you is this. This book is going to be picked up by people, many people whose children have already said something like that to them mm. because they are going to be thinking, what do I do? What do I say? We were just a 
gassed. And uh, uh, to make a, I don't want to go on with it, but uh, to make a long story short, as he is now an adult with his own children, he not only says, and probably is true, doesn't remember a thing about any of the contact experiences he had as, as a boy. He doesn't want his children involved at all in any way. He would not want them to read this book. Mm. So, Ralph, what? Well, you know, uh, Whitley, we don't talk about uh, visitors, aliens, uh, in, uh, other intelligence, ETs, whatever you want to call them in this book. Um, for a reason. We wanted to keep it very basic. Um, yes. and, um, and as I said, the proven part is that there are these objects there that no one knows anything about, where they come from, why they're here. Um, so we wanted to keep it at that. Now, uh, you know better than anyone that uh, if, if these experiences are going to happen, they're going to happen. And there's no way to keep them down. There's no way to keep children from them. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll leave that to the next stage. We just wanted to give, uh, you know, kids and parents a basic grounding. But by the way, um, you know, one of the many mysteries in this phenomenon, as again, as you know, um, is who gets picked, if that's the right yeah, word. Sure is. Uh, some kids don't. I, I never have. Deborah never has. John Mack never uh, had been, um, and never encountered, you know, other intelligence. Um, so we don't know why why that is. You were one of the lucky ones. <laughs> unlucky. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I was one of the ones. Lucky or unlucky, we have yet to determine. Um, so that that is a, another fascinating mystery. I thought that you addressed the the unanswered question in the book very beautifully and gently. It's a book I'm certainly going to give to my four-year-old and to his dad and mom and see if they'll read it to him. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm very curious about that. I had hoped to get a, 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 a galley beforehand and so that I could have done that, but unfortunately they didn't get one to me in time, so I wasn't able to. But you, t you, you, you mentioned here that the scope, and this is something I think that, that children and parents should think carefully about, our parents should think carefully about when they read the book to their children, when you say farmers, fishermen, pilots, police, and school children from all over the world in small towns and big cities have, to have told the same story again and again. And it says that this is a universal reality. Mm -hmm. And as a children's book author, Deborah, what, how does this, uh, inform the psyche of a child is it reassuring or is or is saying this question is universal disturbing well i i hope it'll uh give children some comfort to know they're not alone this is happening to people all over and we do hope to reduce the stigma and make children feel, you know, you're part of what's happening all over the world. You're like other children. There's nothing unusual about you or strange or nothing to be ashamed of. Um, this is just the reality. And again, I think kids would be comforted in some way if they were a the parents opened up to them and they felt comfortable opening up to the parents to talk about this. You yes. know, nothing worse than pretending it's not happening and it's scary and mysterious and uh, something to be uh, shunned or 
uh, embarrassed by. I mean, that makes children just feel uncomfortable and nervous and upset. And that's exactly what we want to eliminate and by opening up the conversation. Um, Ralph, here's a hypothetical for you. Somehow or another, whether it's through the government or they back into it or something happens with the visitors that make it undeniable that this mystery is with us to everyone. What happens in families, which is 99% of them, I would guess, where this has never been discussed at all and the children are suddenly confronted with a mystery that they neither they nor their parents can understand and the parents don't have any answers how i think your book would be very helpful at a moment like that yeah i think so too and i think also you know um again um uh, the whole world of children is is a big mystery so um, I think they're less; they may be less traumatized by some of these experiences than than we think, or than their parents would be, because the the whole world is is, is strange to the to children. And when uh, you know a little a man comes into their room at night and takes them up in the sky, as one little boy told John Mack, um, that's just another experience that he he's trying he or she is maybe trying to make sense of. Um, so I think children are, are much more open uh, to, to, to these strange experiences. And, and John Mack, in particular, found children wonderful witnesses because they, they accepted things that their parents don't accept. And when they had these experiences and encountered these strange things, they just reported it. Um, uh, it's, it's the parents who make them fearful and the baggage that we, you know, we, we uh, pile on them that makes them fearful. They, I don't think they're born with, with that fear. Um, I mean, the, the, the experiences, as you know better than anybody else, are deeply upsetting. Um, yeah. but, um, but if the parents, uh, you know, don't, uh, you know, put their thumb on the scale and, and tell the children what to think about it, they may be more open uh, to these strange experiences than, than otherwise. So um, uh, for all these reasons, I think, first of all, we got to pay attention to the kids and value their, their insights because they are in many ways completely uncontaminated. Uh, we're going to take a little break now. I have amazingly enough remembered this when, as my listeners know, when I get fascinated by an interview, they don't have to worry about breaks because I always forget them. <laughs> and I'm f fascinated by this interview, but I'm also not going to forget the breaks. So I, everyone who works with me sa keeps saying, Whitley, if you forget the breaks, then there's no ads. And that is not good for the show. And that's right. So here we come. Here's a break. And we'll be right back. And I might add, we're back. Uh, and we're talking to Ralph Blumenthal and his wife, Deborah, about their wonderful and important new book for children, UFOs, which is such a good title. And you can reach them on their website on ralphblumenthal.com. And the book, when this show airs, will be available everywhere, uh, hopefully. Uh, and it is well worth it, folks, because many of you have kids. I mean, my audience is quite young, and it is a an audience 
full of families with kids. I already know that for certain. And grandparents, too. Uh, get the book and get with your little ones. And let's kind of get started with this because we don't want it to outrun us, do we? We don't want this to suddenly be all over the news and your kids are saying, what's going on, mama, daddy? Uh, and what about that panic factor, guys? If, if we're not kind of, if the kids aren't ready, nobody's really ready. Mm. Is that, so why don't you speak a little bit to that as a children's book author, Deborah, and then we'll, as a reporter and a, and a journalist, we'll get into the, your answer next, Ralph. Um, well, to me, panic is a scary word. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's the last thing we want to inflict on children. So, again, slow, steady, informed, relaxed conversation, um, you know, bringing children into it. What have you read? What do you know? What are you curious about? When we go outside, what do we see in the sky? What should be there? You know, what have people reported? There are so many questions, and we don't pretend to have the answers, but we, again, just want to bring children into the, the mystery. We call, if I may, I'll hold up the cover, Whitley. Um, it's UFOs. Mysteries in the sky. The, the cover you can, yeah, you can. Uh, the cover will be shown at, okay. at every break by the by the show. You don't need to hold it up; okay. they will see the cover. Oh, okay. Um, also, Whitley, uh, apropos your question, I mean, the government for a long time took the position that the American people were not ready, uh, you know, to know these things. Uh, I think it was a, it was a terrible decision, and it yes. was informed by all kinds of things. Um, including, you know, the, the uh, conflicts of the Cold War and we don't want our adversaries to know how much we know, et cetera. But basically it was rooted in a, a paternalistic attitude that, you know, the people are not ready for this uh, and, uh, you know, we got to keep this information. And the government resorted to all kinds of, of, uh, of lies and, and misinformation and disinformation, um, which really put the stigma on the whole issue. Um, so um, I, I think uh, the, the, f the first thing we have to do is say, uh, uh, yes, the, the people, the American people, people of the world, all of humanity is ready for this information. They deserve to know it. Um, um, and, uh, and we can handle it. Uh, the one thing we can handle, as, as you said, and Deborah you know, referred to, is this conspiracy of silence that puts an onus on, on the subject. And... Um, and is more frightening to the kids than, than any information would be because then they say kids are very good at picking these signals up and they sense that there's something really, you know, awful about this secret. Um, so, uh, you know, the government made a terrible mistake years ago in, in, in putting this in the shadows. Um, and we, we hope that this book will go some ways toward, toward combating that. Yeah. You know, I've often thought to myself that, the one segment of the culture that could handle this was the one that was lied to, which was the ordinary people. The mm -hmm. ones who were scared were the government and the intellectual community and the scientific communities, which were frightened of death of it and couldn't handle it. And, but that wasn't true of the ordinary people. And, you know, you, there's this um, thing that I've just been reading about recently again, that Jimmy Carter wept after he was 
given the uh, given the the secret uh, uh, briefing, and because he was told that our visitors had created our religions and they had genetically created us, et cetera, and so forth. And I've heard that from so many different people who have had that briefing that I, I think that that might be something that they're trying to hide. But what is so disturbing about it is it's probably not true. Because if you look at the communications between us and our visitors, the first one that was I know of that was reported by anybody was recorded by General Nathan Twining's son. And my friend, my, my family member, uh, 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 my uncle Mickey, was in Twining's command when this happened and when the debris was brought to Roswell. So there's no question about the fact that Twining and his memo of 1947, he did know about this. Mm. And he, his son says that he was told that the, the, the communication had to, to Twining had been, we're not interested in humanity. Mm. In other words, the first thing they said was a lie. Yeah. And we're going to have to deal in the culture with the fact that we, we can't really communicate with them because we, it, whatever reason, it doesn't work right. Uh, and so when it happens that this becomes more public, children, there's going to be so much misinformation and confusion around, especially yeah. because I think members of the government have believed these pronouncements like ex cathedra statements and any close encounter witness knows that's not a good idea. Right. Yeah, there must be a lot of people in the government with whip with whiplash <laughs> because for so many years they were told one thing. Now the government is saying, oh, no, it's good to report, uh, you know, and yeah, we there's a statute now protecting whistleblowers who come forward with information. So um, and airline pilots are being told now, oh, it's OK to report. You won't be, you know, sent to the psychiatrist. Um, so there's got to be people in the government who are going, you know, well, wait, uh, you know, what's what's the latest line on this? Uh, uh, and it's, again, it's the government's fault because um, they put us on the wrong path to begin with. But we, we have come a long way. And um, I wouldn't blame kids for being puzzled. Uh, they would ask their parents, well, why didn't we know about this? <laughs> you know, wh why are you telling me this now? <laughs> you know, um, when when did this, you know, uh, become the news? So um, kids, as we said, are very quick to pick up these, um, you know, these signals in the society. And if they sense that this uncomfortable uncomfortableness uh, with the subject, they, they will pick that up right away. So. Um, we, we need to take that stigma away and say, this is a mystery and we're trying to understand it. Some people see fiery pin dots of flickering lights like blobs or fireballs or triangles or other things with windows zigzagging across the sky this way and that faster than jets, faster, 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 even than shooting stars. They dance madly through the air like flickering fireflies, sometimes swooping close to the ground or above the treetops or ocean waves. Or they'd land softly on the ground with a windy whirring sound or no sound at all. Such poetry in that, and the illustrations are so beautiful. It's deeply reassuring. 
in many ways, I think. And I'm reading it to give a flavor of what this is would be like for people to read this to their own children. Now, Deborah, what if the child then says, oh, yeah, they came into my bedroom? What do we do? I would encourage them to talk to me, tell me more, maybe draw pictures if they can't put the experience into words, um, make an art project out of it, and ask them questions. How do you feel about this? Does it make you feel uncomfortable? Why does it make you uncomfortable? Do you feel safe in the house? Do you know, Just start the conversation so they don't feel they have to keep these thoughts inside of them. And um, would you like to meet other children who've had experiences like yours? You know, maybe there's a, a way to bring kids together. We all feel better in a group therapy situation where we have problems that we share. Why not bring children into a conversation like that? So again, I think anything to remove the stigma can be very helpful. You know, uh, that, that's a very good answer. And uh, Whitley, as you know, John Mack dealt with this all the time. Um, uh, uh, children who were then later grown up would tell, would tell John, um, you know, my parents told me it was only a dream or it was a nightmare. Uh, they didn't believe me. And that was really the most upsetting thing to them, that they had this experience more vivid than even reality, everyday reality. They would always say, I know, you know, what's real and what's a dream. This was more real than I'm standing here talking to you. So they knew that something had happened, these children. And when their parents then try to talk them out of it or say, oh, you were dreaming, honey, it was a nightmare, uh, they didn't trust their parents anymore. So what Deborah said is exactly true. Uh, the, the job of a parent is to, if they don't, maybe they don't buy the story, maybe they haven't had experiences, so it's completely foreign to them. But at least uh, don't uh, tell the kid you're making it up or, you know, it, it wasn't real. Um, turn it into some kind of an experience and say, you know, let's talk about it or, you know, uh, let's read something more about it. Or in other words, anything except um, convincing the child that what clearly happened on some dimension, some level to them didn't happen. That's the worst. I agree. I, we just, we listened to our little boy and we didn't discourage him or encourage him. We just let him let him say what he wanted to about what was happening to him. And then we sweated blood. I mean, I, it was really very hard. And if this begins to enter the lives of a lot of people, many of them will address it through the lens of their, their existing religious beliefs. Uh, a lot, I mean, we don't have that many. It's certainly not a majority of people anymore. But... What about the people who say to their children, well, these are demons? What do we do about that? Well, let me say, Whitley, you know, the Vatican is very progressive on UFOs. Thank goodness it is, yes. You know, people who, who study astronomy, they have people who, I mean, look, a, a, a religion based on so-called miraculous events uh, is, cannot be in the position of denying other seemingly miraculous events that occur in our day and age. Right. So um, accordingly, the Catholic Church really has a very interesting position um, on, on ufology, uh, which is not to deny it, but to say it's another of God's many mysteries. Um, 
And if, if God can do this, this and this, you know, uh, then why can't he or she or, or it um, create um, other races of, of intelligent beings uh, that can traverse, you know, astronomical distances quickly um, if this is in the power of a, of a creator? So, um, um, you know, the, the people who say this is demonic and um, you know, we can't deal with this. They're not reflecting the best thinking of those who who understand what what religion and and uh, um, you know spiritual life are really about. Um, so that that is one of the problems that it's it's really been hijacked by people who take a very narrow view of what's possible. I think that's happened within the government too. Uh, for example, that when back in when this all started, the Catholic Church didn't take a position about it because they had the belief that the only other non-human creatures in the universe were angels and demons. This whole idea of there being other races somewhere had never even occurred to anyone. And um, uh, General Twining, just the year before this happened, had been converted to Catholicism by Padre Pio. And so he was probably going to his confessor to find out what to believe and being told that they must be angels or demons. Right. And if you look at the history of the Air Materiel Command, you will find up until very recently where we can find uh, whether or not a given general what his religious beliefs are, they are generally very much fundamentalists or Mormons or something like that. It's a tradition in that particular office. Right. So how do we get past that with our kids? Because I think that inside the government, there's a lot of this very archaic superstition still very much alive. There and is. it might be reflected into the community when they finally begin to admit this. Right. We know from Lou Elizondo, who headed the Pentagon's, you know, ATIP office, the UFO office, which is the story we broke in the Times in 2017, that the, the government really was watching UFOs, despite what it said in uh, at the end of 1969 when it shut down Blue Book, because it was, quote, nothing to see here, folks. Um so uh, Elizondo dealt with that. There were people above him in the command. We know that from our interviews uh, who were telling him that uh, this is demonic, that he's not going to you know, have the freedom to look into this phenomenon as he, he thought he would have or should have. Um, so that is a real problem. People, very narrow minded people in high positions who um, want to shunt this subject off, uh, just not not deal with it. But, you know, the cat's out of the bag, Whitley, as you know, um, the these you know, once the, the Pentagon started taking pictures of these objects and and pilots, uh, decorated pilots like Dave Fravor and others, uh, the most highly trained observers we have in this country, trained on millions and millions of dollars of, you know, the most sophisticated technology. They're saying that they they saw these things with their own eyes. And then they were captured on, you know, uh, infrared uh, imaging, imaging devices and cameras. Um, so you can't, we can't go back to that, you know, and say, well, these, it's demonic. We can't deal with it. It's, it's going to come out a little by little. Question is, how long will it take? But we're, we are moving in the right direction. Deborah, when a controversy like this 
appears in a situation where someone is dealing with, say they, they've bought your book and they did it because their child has seen something unusual. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's happening more and more because there's more and more sightings all the time. And how, when there are official, assuming this, we go down the road with this a little bit, there are official pronouncements that suggests that this is very negative and demonic. How would you suggest a parent counsel their children about this, given all that we know now about the reality of it? Well, you know, I, I think we, as parents, we have to acknowledge that there are people in the world who don't have the same belief systems that we do. And we all have to navigate in a world where People have very strong feelings and we respect them, we acknowledge them, but they may not be the feelings that we have. So we don't have to agree with everybody. We have to respect them. We have to listen to them. But deep down, we know who we are. We know what makes sense to us. We, when there's a topic we want to learn about, we do as much research as possible and we grapple with the material as carefully and thoroughly as we can. But ultimately, no, no one is going to determine what we believe, except that, you know, uh, the family, the children, when we talk about things. And if people don't agree with us, well, that's fine. That makes the world interesting. We live in a, a very diverse world. And that's a strength. And, uh, you know, I hope we'll just have a conversation not hate each other, but talk to each other. Find out why do you believe this? Where did your beliefs come from? I'll tell you about my beliefs. I'll tell you where I get my information. You know, we have to pool our resources. And the way to get along in this world is to talk to people, not shun them. And the same thing with books. You know, book banning now is so rampant and it's, it's frightening. It accomplishes yes. nothing. And um, if, if you don't want your children to read a book, don't buy it. But don't tell me it shouldn't be in the library where children can't be exposed to the book. Uh, that doesn't help. And it just makes it mysterious and makes them want to read it more. So I think there's just an openness in life that we have to go out to the world with. And any other attitude works negatively toward us and, and our family. I think, yeah, I, I think that's a really good answer. And Ralph, here's a scenario. Something comes out in the government and it does reflect this hidden fear of a demonic presence. In other words, they do say that this is a very negative and aggressive presence. And there's a lot of evidence that that is actually true in part at least what would you say to parents who have to uh deal with the questions that their children are going to raise if and when such information becomes generally accepted as the word of authority yeah that's a, that's a very uh, daunting prospect um yeah uh, you know, again, we, we try to keep this book very simple and, you know, sort of not deal with those those issues. There's a, as you know, Whitley, better than anybody, 
is a hugely frightening aspect uh, to, to some of these experiences, um, yes. which we do, do not get into in this book uh, because we wanted to stick with the basics, that there are objects there. We don't understand what they are, but they're real. And we're trying to figure out what they are. And I think that's comforting for a kid uh, yeah. that, you know, the grownups are thinking about this. They're working on it. Um, you know, by itself, knowledge is not frightening. It's something uh, to be, you know, uh, understood and worked with. It's, you know, all science is, um, uh, you know, a process of trying to understand the you know, physical world, uh, all its possibilities, the realm of things that may be in a, a liminal between physical and non-physical, all these difficult questions. Um, but, you know, if you get down to these experiences, first of all, young children who, uh, who are the target audience for this book are, are not the ones to, to, to burden with, with some of these really complicated questions. That really has to be reserved for, um, you know, uh, older children, just like other things in our society. We don't lecture our young people on, you know, the you know, vagaries of sexual experience or, uh, you know, international diplomacy policy and things like that. So we realize that there's an age or age appropriate aspect for all of this. So one step at a time, first, we'll tell the kids what we can understand of the physical world, that there's this mystery out there. Uh, then when they're older and able to deal with, you know, more difficult questions, we introduce these other things. So I, I think at some point, yes, we they, they will need to know about these other things. And just like there'll be a, a target audience for communion, you know, um, uh, but it, it takes a certain level of sophistication uh, to deal with that. Yeah, they're terrible experiences in, in the world and we don't lay them all on young kids, um, but we prepare the groundwork to let them know that there are mysteries and that scientists are working on these questions and um, it's okay to ask. We're going to take another brief break, folks. Uh, we'll be right back. We're talking to Ralph and Deborah Blumenthal about their new children's book about UFOs called UFOs. And as I said before, a lovely title. You can get in, involved with the Blumenthals in their work at ralphblumenthal.com. Deborah, do you have a separate uh, website of your own. I didn't ask that, and I probably oh, I do. DebraBlumenthal.com. Yes, DebraBlumenthal.com. Well, even Whitley can remember this. <laughs> so RalphBlumenthal.com, Ralph and DebraBlumenthal.com for Deborah and her wonderful journey in in children's literature. So when we get, I guess you know what I'm thinking about. I'm a little bit thinking about a future that I think we're going to be facing pretty soon. Uh, this is a book for now and for maybe the next few years. Would you ever consider writing a book later that does deal with the close encounter aspect of this? And I want to ask you, Deborah, as, a, as a, an accomplished author of children's books, I'm going to ask Ralph as a reporter who has deep knowledge and understanding of all of this stuff in a moment. But as a children's book author, how would you approach that? I'm not sure I would at this point. No, no, uh, I mean, but later, say, when yeah. it is known that this is something real. Okay. Um, you know, I'd, I'd really have to think about that a lot, and I haven't at all. Um, ah. 
as it is with this book, was hard enough to decide what to include and what not to include. And generally, before I even consider doing a book, I try to put together as much material as possible and, and let the material talk to me. And I try to pick out what I think children will relate to and what they won't relate to. So I really can't answer that because I haven't explored that area at all. And, I, you know, I just don't know how, whether it would fit with me as an author and, um, you know, how I would even approach the subject beyond the, the very elementary uh, introduction that we've provided. So yeah, I, you know, uh, uh, what Deborah said is absolutely true, really. The, um, just pondering your question, I mean, could could anyone ever conceive of a communion as your 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 book for for children? I mean, um, it it really could be problematical. The Travis Walton story for children, Betty and Barney Hill for kids. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, that, that is that's a difficult thing. Maybe these stories really have to be uh, geared to a higher level or adult readers. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I share Deborah's hesitation in, in imagining um, a book, uh, you know, that would deal with these complicated questions for, for, for real children. Um, for adults, it's hard enough, but, um, you know, it, it's almost a contradiction in terms trying to boil these um, concepts down for children. And I should tell you that the University of New Mexico Press uh, you know, began with a lot of questions about they're very serious as an academic publisher, and they weren't going to publish this this book lightly. So they turned to some, you know, child psychologists and and, and outside panel to evaluate our book uh, to see whether it was appropriate. You know, whether we uh, were you know suitably um, uh, you know distant from the subject matter so that we weren't advocate. Um, and we passed all their tests, believe they were very happy. Well, that's good. Uh, now, uh, let's... some of these other I think we froze. Yeah, Ralph is frozen, um, and this he will unfreeze eventually, we hope. Okay, uh, okay, so, uh, but let's just go on and, um, uh, I'm going to lead into the aerial school in a moment, and but right now I, there's a is before we get into the aerial school. Deborah, are you frozen? No. No, I'm good. Okay, are you still frozen, Ralph? Um, no, I. You hear me? Yes. Yeah, you're unfrozen now. Well, good. Welcome okay. back to the world of the living. <laughs> no, John. No, don't worry about this. This this happens all the time. Uh, in, in, in this in, subject, in, John Mack dealt with that. He said, "When you're dealing with this, there's always some issue. The gremlins out there." So, yeah, yeah right. As, as part of the yeah. as part of the process. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, gremlins. Um, uh, in, in any case, um, you 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 begin to touch on a little bit on the fear factor in the book. But cattle, birds, dogs, and cats raise their eyes and ears when UFOs are near. They even howl. Cows moo and huddle together. Deborah, what happens when the child says to mama or daddy, why do they do that? Well, as we know, animals are very sensitive to sound. 
far more than humans are. And they're very alert and they're very cognizant of the environment they're in. And they have obviously expressed fear. And that's what's going on here. And uh, we try to put that in a, in a very sort of subdued context, but clearly, you know, animals do react to the craft nearby and, and they are afraid. And so what do they do? Just like humans, they huddle together. Um, so we wanted to let kids know that it's, you know, it's not just people who react to these things, it's, it's animals as well. Yeah, it may be comforting in a way to let them know that animals um, sense this phenomenon too, and they react to it. Uh, we, we try to put it in the most unthreatening way possible, but you're right, there is a fear factor here uh, that, that we, we touch on. Um, and, um, uh, you know, maybe we bring up what these kids are feeling anyway, and we're, we're acknowledging it. I think so. I think it's a very important part of the book for that very reason, because it gives the children a chance to ask questions about their own fears. Um, next, we go into Zimbabwe, to the aerial school, which I think you deal with with great tact and taste. Beautiful story, an extraordinary story. I can, one of the, I had many calls with John Mack over the years when we were friends. And uh, one of the most extraordinary calls was ever was from him when he called me and said, Whitley, I'm going to Africa, to Zimbabwe, to this school, because this, I think, is the greatest UFO case in history. Mm. And he was right. And now this, uh, the aerial school phenomenon this the the documentary is out and it's a perfectly beautiful documentary that goes into great detail about the school and what happened there now uh when you get into the school the children's natural question is going to be well if it happened at their school what if it happens at my school and Ralph, give us an idea first, set the scene a little bit about the aerial school and what did happen there. And then, Deborah, I'm going to ask you to advise our listeners mm. about what to, to, how to respond to the child, that child's question. So, Ralph, why don't you first do that? Yeah, well, the story is in, in 1995, uh, something uh, landed, some kind of a craft landed uh, at a, a school outside Harare, uh, Zimbabwe. Um, uh, it was a mixed school, a day school for kids of all uh, uh, backgrounds, racial uh, groups, and uh, um, children of uh, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. Uh, they were all at, research, at recess, and about 60 of them saw this thing land and saw actually saw two beings there. And um, later they drew pictures of what they'd seen and told the stories. And all the stories were, were consistent, not completely the same, but certainly uh, similar. And they drew uh, pictures, as I said, and, and John Mack flew all the way there to talk to the kids. And he was very good with kids. And he, he, he drew them out on their stories. You know, were they afraid? And what did they sense from these beings? And... Um, so what's extraordinary is you had this large group of kids uh, all told a similar story, drew similar pictures, uh, and were really wonderful witnesses. Um, 
And, uh, and at one point, John said to them, uh, well, what if uh, I told you that uh, you would just dream, all you kids were just dreaming this up and uh, that no, no such thing actually happened because it was quite impossible. What would you say to that? And one little kid said to him, well, uh, we know what we saw, and uh, it doesn't matter what you, what you tell us. We know what happened. It was a very sophisticated answer. Yes. Uh, these kids were wonderful witnesses, and uh, it was an extraordinary case, really one of the best documented um, uh, you know, incidents uh, in history. Yes. Uh, and why, they, why the, the, this thing landed, if it did, and when it did, um, only at recess, where no adults were present, by the way, uh, is another of the mysteries. How did it know uh, that it would only interact with the kids and no adults? Um, you know, and John Mack couldn't answer that. He said, I'm, I'm not an alien psychologist. I'm a, I'm a child <laughs> psychologist. I remember that answer. <laughs> I, I can't get into their thinking, but um, it, it was one of the many mysteries. Anyway, it is a marvelous case. The film that you referenced by Randy Nickerson, one of John's experiencers, is truly excellent. I've seen it. Um, and he talks to the the former kids who are now adults looking back and, and have ne having never forgotten this experience. Um, right. uh, so it is uh, really an extraordinary event just because of the number of witnesses and the number of uh, basically untainted witnesses because they were just children reporting what they saw. Deborah, a child is asks her or his parents, what if it comes to my school? Um, well, the truth is these events are very rare. And I would emphasize that, first of all, very, very rare. And second of all, I would tell them that there's a movie that these children were all fascinated by what happened and they couldn't explain it. And they were just observers of a very fascinating phenomenon in the world. The children weren't harmed and they were very struck by what happened certainly, but they were all safe and the teachers came out, even though the teachers were not very supportive. Um, and that these, you know, these are very rare events, but ultimately no one was hurt and it, it resolved itself peacefully. So yes. there's nothing for the children to be particularly concerned about, except wondering what was going on in the world. And it, in, in, it enriched their lives, as you can see from the, uh, the movie, the, the, uh, uh, the children now as adults look back on this as a great experience. Mm. And, you know, it's true of me too. I, and many experiencers, most of them, you you know you initially it's pretty scary, but if you stay with it, it becomes extremely enriching, mm -hmm. um, and and frankly, uh, very enriching. So, uh, so now you get next Ralph into the Roswell incident, and the official word that most parents I think will probably still believe when this book is published, which will be shortly, and, and if it's not already out, it's eight, due out this month. It's out. It's out. It is out. Oh, it is out. Okay, so it's April out. April 15th, yes. All right. Now, you talk about the Roswell incident, and you and I both know the whole story probably very, like the backs of our hands at this point. 
But most parents don't. Most parents are going to be thinking uh, that, you know, it's never going to have occurred to them that the Air Force might have been lying. Uh, well, maybe not most, but very many. So how do, what would you say to a parent or a teacher who writes you and says, well, uh, doesn't the Air Force say that the Roswell incident was crash test dummies or something? What do we do with this material? Because you don't really address it directly in the book. You make it sound like they're not telling the truth. Right. Yeah, we, we didn't go into great detail because it's, as you know, it's a very complicated story. And uh, the problem is it's been so overlain with myth and conflicting accounts that to get at the uh, actual story now after all these years, thanks to the years of the government putting out you know, disinformation, uh, it's almost impossible to go back and find out what, what, what's clear is that the um, Air Force um, um, you know, uh, officially said at the time that it was a crashed UFO. Uh, later, they walked the story back. The newspaper re reported it as a crashed um, craft. Um, so uh, I would say it's, again, part of the mystery that the government says one thing, people who were there at the time say something else. It's clearly um, a mystery, one of many, um, uh, but it is, um, um, it, it's part of the, uh, the story. I mean, it, it, it happened at a time when something else happened that was very interesting. The same year, 1947, that Ken Arnold uh, saw the first widely reported flying saucers, as they were. Right. So, um, you know, again, you could explain to a child, well, this happened after a big war, World War II, where there were a lot of reports of strange things in the sky. Right after the war, there were more reports of strange things in the sky. There were reports of things over Washington, D.C., um, that the government couldn't quite explain. So something happened uh, that was kind of interesting in our country uh, in those years and right, a, you know, right after the war. Maybe that it had some special significance. We don't yet really know. But that was the beginning of what was widely reported as you know, the, the birth of, of uh, the UFO era. So um, something happened then um, that we, we don't understand, but that's interesting. And, you know, that's I, I guess that's the way you'd explain it to a child, um, that there are different stories and uh, it's very hard to establish what what really happened. It's a the book has a lovely, gentle, supportive tone to it. It's a tone familiar to me because it's one that the best children's books, authors who are who are transmitting information, especially difficult information can adopt. I have a feeling that our tough, crusty old reporter was not responsible for that tone, <laughs> but it might have been this wonderful children's book author. Never, can you speak to that tone a little bit? I, it was truly a joint project. <laughs> and um, we went back and forth on individual words and sentences and does this, uh, the author's note, are we being too academic? Is it too adult? And so, you know, that that's obviously part of the writing process where you question absolutely every word and every sentence. And when it's right, it feels right. And when it's not, it's clunky mm -hmm. and awful and you go back to the drawing board. So we really did collaborate, I have to say. And uh, 
hopefully we get we got the best product from both of us. Well, I, well, I do have to defer to my wife here and say that she is very knowledgeable about children's book writing, and she found the perfect tone, uh, which I, I'm glad you picked up on, uh, Whitney uh, Whitley, that um, uh, you want a, a sort of a basic comforting tone, a nurturing tone in a book, not to skirt the big questions, but to cast them in a way that they are palatable to, to young minds. So that's what Deborah was very good at. And, um, uh, and, you know, you might ask, well, how does it, how do two people live in the same <laughs> apartment and the husband and wife collaborate on a book <laughs> with difficulty? <laughs> yeah, well, I've collaborated on a number of books with difficulty and the people I collaborated with didn't live with me. So, <laughs> um, but, well, look, we basically respect each other's expertise in different, you know, areas of writing. So, um, we, we get along very well in real life. So we get along as co-authors. So it helps if you have, you know, great respect for your writing partner. So we came, we had a lot going for us when we collaborated, I must say, um, you know, it wasn't just two strangers coming together to write a book. Um, so, but we did, as Deborah said, we hashed the words out and is this the right tone? Is this the right tone? Um, you know, some questions were difficult to, to, to deal with. But again, we had the expertise of um, uh, University of New Mexico Press, who uh, made some suggestions about, mm -hmm. you know, the writing and uh, what to put in, what to leave out. It was a selective process. So um, that all went into it. But it really was a joy to work with Deborah on this book, I have to say that. <laughs> well, the warmth in the book and the warmth that we're seeing between the two of you comes across loud and clear. <laughs> uh, the folks, I think this book should be in the home of every experiencer family. And I think that uh, there are a lot of them who listen to this show, uh, really a lot. And the, and, but beyond that, it's a book that is an important book for every family, especially in this time when our connection to this and our relationship with it and the way we talk about it is changing so rapidly. So if you get the book, I would suggest to you also recommend it to your family, to your friends with young families. I certainly will, will get it for my young family. And it is a wonderful, supportive, strongly well thought out beginning for a child to begin to deal with this mystery. And I want to thank you both for writing it. I think it took, it must have been a hard thing to do in many respects, but also probably a very lovely thing. Well, thank you, Whitley. Thank you, Whitley. It's a to be with you and with your background and you know this phenomenon. It's all in, it's in all its depth and mystery and awesomeness and terror. And yeah. So to hear your description is really very... Uh, it means a lot. Thank you so much. Also, I might mention that Adam Gustafson's illustrations are fabulous. The book's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. The kind of thing that makes your kids think there's beauty in this world and especially in its mysteries. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. We okay. Totally agree. Deborah Blumenthal.com. The... UFOs for your kids. Such a pleasure to have you with me on Dreamland today. Thank you, Whitley. A real pleasure to be here. Yes, indeed. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. 
Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander. <laughs>